Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Interview with a Dungeon Master. I am sitting here virtually with Ian Klink, who is someone I've been playing D&D with for many years now, both as a player and a Dungeon Master. So what we're going to do on this series, as you can probably guess from the title, is interview various Dungeon Masters about their experience with Dungeons & Dragons, what they enjoy about it, what they've learned from it, as well as a whole bunch of different other aspects of the hobby. So uh, as we get started here, Ian, can you just introduce yourself? Just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive into the Dungeons & Dragons questions. Oh, man. Hey, RJ. Uh so I'm, yeah, I'm Ian. Uh, I've been playing D and D for quite a little bit now. RJ is my de facto brother-in-law, and he's been my friend for a very long time. So I'm pretty excited to be on with you guys. I read his blog every now and again, and it's pretty entertaining for me. So hopefully, I'll be able to entertain you guys as well. All right, thanks, Ian. Let's get started. So, opening question. When did you begin playing Dungeons and Dragons? How long ago was that? I know it's been probably almost a decade at this point, but when was the initial start date? If I remember correctly, the first time that I really played Dungeons and Dragons, like it must have been around 2006, I feel like it was. I I first started playing with one of my friends when we we were just sort of bored at one of our parents' houses, and he had a—he had been playing Dungeons and Dragons before I had, and he—he he had the dice and was like, "Hey, do you want to play an adventure?" And from there, I was hooked. Easy. So, you say that you just grabbed some dice and played. Was there a dungeon master, or were was it just a whole bunch of players? You guys were just rolling dice, fighting monsters. It was just him and me. And there was a very simple story trying to clear out a castle for a baron. Just a quick one-shot that was just me against, uh, well, me and some NPCs against uh, a bandit force and a two-headed troll, if I remember correct. Of course. The trolls always have to have freak body parts. It's true. It's a, <laughs> it's a necessary factor for a troll. Awesome. Okay, so that's that's 14 years ago. That's crazy. It was. That's that's insane. I think I I think you started before me actually. I think because my, my first time playing was around 2008, I believe. So you you had it before me, which is pretty crazy. Congratulations. Yeah. Just a just a little bit though. I didn't get fully into it for quite a while after that. All right. So. Building on that, when did you first DM? Because that's what this podcast is all about. When did you first Dungeon Master? My first time Dungeon Mastering was actually on my birthday in 2009, I believe. I had you there as well as many of my other friends. I believe that the total party was maybe up to eight players, if I'm remembering correctly. It was it was very fun, but it was also very slow going at points because it was my first time DMing and it's it was a lot of people. Yeah, even now DMing for eight people 
is quite an ordeal. So I, I, I semi-remember it. I don't have the best memory, but I do remember enjoying myself. And I do remember that you ran quite a few different adventures, everything from just a medieval romp to like almost a space opera, where at one point we were building our own ship and landing on these different planets and we crashed, I think, on a desert island. That might have been in there around 2009 when that happened. <laughs> I, I, I don't quite remember, but it was probably in there. That was the second campaign that I run, actually. It was, of course. And it was quite a leap going from <laughs> somewhat knowing what I was doing with the books to trying to just forge my own path into, yeah. into the face genre. <laughs> and while it was enjoyable, it, it died off very quickly because, again, we had quite a few people. And yeah, I didn't entirely know what I was doing at that point. It's okay. We all have to start somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere. All right. So do you enjoy playing more than DMing? Because I do know that you're, you're a player in a few different campaigns, uh, two of which I run. And you also DM a campaign, which I am a player in. Do you enjoy playing more than you do DMing or, or is it the opposite? I would say that I enjoy playing more than DMing, but it's not entirely true because they're two different like experiences as a whole. Whereas when you're playing, you're in someone else's environment and you get to explore and interact with whatever they've created as well as whatever other players have come up with for their characters. That's all very fun for me, and I take a large amount of enjoyment out of it. But I also really love creating the environment and being the one that my characters all sort of meet up in and creating the story that they journey through. So I would say that I enjoy playing more, but playing and DMing, they're both very close. It's a hard question. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree. I, I love... Well... I lied. I love DMing more than playing, but I agree with you on how how uh, different they are. It's a it is a really difficult question, but you answered it pretty well, so, so I'll give you that. Um, so building on that, first let's look at what's your favorite part of being a player. Out of all the things you do, probably my favorite part about being a player is the exploration. You're able to explore through this world that someone else has created find like all the little hidden secrets or references that they throw into their world building or dungeon building as well as sort of get to learn the secrets made by other players my current character in your campaign is basically completely built to hunt down secrets and lore and i feel like that's why i enjoy being a player as much as I do. Yeah. Well, I do enjoy comp. It's it's always a little bit touch and go. So long as the role play is great, I have a great time. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for you there. You do love exploring the world, and I do put in secrets that unfortunately sometimes remain unfound in in the campaign, but I do put them in a lot for you. So so continue looking, continue searching because they are there almost in Every encounter, every corner, there's always a secret, at least one secret uh, hiding there. So, always be searching. 
So look after now that we've looked at why why you love being a player, the favorite part of being a player. What's your favorite part of DMing? I know you mentioned that you love building the stories, the world, the various characters, having them all connect. Is there any single part of being a DM that you enjoy the most? I would say that the part about DMing that I enjoy the most is definitely the world building because you don't even always need players to, to world build. Yeah. Uh, running running sessions in your world is always great and seeing people like interact yeah. with it. But having that solid lore down like in your world to start with, and you can always go back and change it. It's always very, very fun to me just creating stories, like even if they're not shared at first, you can always like create a story and like store it for later. Because throughout the day, I normally carry a journal with me, and I'm always hit by like random spikes of inspiration. It's like, man, that would be a great idea to throw into my world. And then at night, normally I try to weave them in somehow. It's awesome. Do you have uh, one of your most recent ideas in your head right now? One of my most recent ideas. Um, yes, I I remember I had been watching a YouTube series, I sort of forget what it was, but it, it delved into Warhammer for a little bit and how there were entire nations based around like undead. And I was sort of like, huh, creating an entire nation of undead creatures seemed a little bit strange because normally they're like only the high tier undead creatures that actually have sentience. But yeah. creating an entire nation of them I thought I felt like that would be a very cool idea, so I started drawing up like a hierarchy of how I feel this nation would work and where exactly in my world it would be. But it fits very well into the theme of my world, and I feel like it was definitely the best idea that I've had like for a little while so far. Yeah, that's compelling. There's a game that I play. I know you played it too, Guild Wars Two. It has a nation. Uh, that's comprised of undead. It's ruled by a lich, and he's he's found out a way to awaken the dead, and it does bring them back with a with an ounce of sentience. They are sentient and they are undead, and they're called the awakened. That's also really interesting. So I I know I may have told uh, you about this before, but if you're interested, you can look into that too. That's that's where I take the inspiration for for a nation in my world where. It's basically locked down from all the other nations because the queen has done this to to a majority of the population, and uh, yeah, it's not it's not turning out so well for that nation or its people. So, oh but, no, yeah, but but undead are great. Undead are great. That's why you haven't heard about it yet, you know. Also, you're pretty far away from it in the current campaign. One day, one day you'll hear about it. <laughs> Save them eventually, or destroy them. Who Perhaps, knows? yeah, yeah. We'll have to see. <laughs> All right. So now that we've looked at your favorite parts of being a player, a DM, I want to go to two more uh, overarching things. What is your... First, we're going to look at your best D&D memory, and then I want to look at your worst D&D memory from all the years you've been playing since 2006. What is your best D&D memory? Best. Do you mean as a, a player or as a dungeon master? 
if you want, we can do Dungeon Master, and then if you have uh, something in mind, go ahead as a player, too. Okay. So for, for being a Dungeon Master, my worst memory would probably be the second session that I ran. Basically, it was a very large session. I believe it was seven or eight people, and you were in it. I'm not sure if you remember it, because it was a while ago. I might. But, but basically, the party had been taxed with bringing these various bell towers around a certain area in order to restore a guardian spirit. But throughout the, throughout the course of me telling the story, I sort of got jumbled up between areas. And to supplement for me sort of like stuttering around a little bit, I threw in some encounters that were had no place being there at that level. And also they were a little bit un, unbalanced towards the players that were playing in that. Shadow Dragon, maybe? Shadow Dragons at level two is never a good idea. Knew I remembered. And, yeah, that... That was the session, and many of the player characters died, of course, and that's it wasn't overall enjoyable for the characters as a whole, I feel. There were many people that went away not feeling great, and sure, I may have had fun at points killing the characters, but you should never <laughs> work actively against your characters. You should always have... You should always have a balanced experience, or at least... You should not. You should never work against your players. Yeah, it's you, you it's the world. Story. Yeah, you're not the antagonist. Yeah, the world's world working against them or with them at times. Yeah, but you should you should never revel in killing a character. It should only be done when the story the story demands it. Yeah, I agree. So I feel like that session definitely was a low point. But it was when I was first starting out, so, I mean... Well, that's nice for you, Ian. <laughs> that's nice for you that your session was so long ago, because mine definitely is not. <laughs> oh, no. What, what was your worst memory as a Dungeon Master? Oh, I, I did outline it in my, in my self-interview that I published a few months back, but my, my worst experience as a Dungeon Master probably was uh, when... A few of my players got into a fierce argument uh, with first each other, and it started in character, and then it slowly uh, moved into real life. And I didn't interfere as quickly or as fiercely as I should have, and I've since learned from that. Um, but even now, like I, I just had something similar happen to it. A few weeks ago, and I didn't speak up as fast as I should have, so I'm still learning. I just need to learn to be more confident, honestly. When I'm sitting at the head of the table, I I am the ultimate law. I know I sound extremely arrogant right now, but I am the law. I am the god. And I should put a stop to any interpersonal arguments that have no place being in Dungeons and Dragons. It's fine to argue in character when it's warranted, but I'm, I'm not a fan of doing it 
when it transfers out of the game, and it's for totally unreasonable reasons. So definitely, agree. definitely my worst D and D memory as a dungeon master. So in fact, just recently, a good example would be we in our last session that we had together. Our characters yeah. did disagree on a certain subject, but throughout the course of the discussion, it never went out of character, and we always... It was actually Yeah, we, we solved it through roleplay. It, it was never heated between the players themselves. Yeah, it, it was excellent. It, I loved just sitting back. I think I sat back for 15 or 20 minutes and just listened to all of you debate, and everybody was in character almost the entire time, and, and it was great. I loved it. That's that's what I like to see. Some of my favorite moments playing D&D as a dungeon master is just when I can sit in my chair and watch all my players argue about the story that I've placed in front of them and that they've greatly interfered with and affected. That, those are the best moments, yeah. Speaking of best moments, okay, so what's your best moment as a dungeon master, Ian? As a dungeon master, the best moment. Ooh. Let's see. I... I had one in mind, and now I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. There's just too many, I, I know. Yeah, there, there are a lot of good experiences that I've had, but I'd say that probably the best experience that I've had was... There was there was a very innovative session that I made that actually ended up only being a one-shot. Or, not a one-shot, but it wasn't played like as part of the main campaign. It was actually run just a one-on-one -on -one session that sort okay. of led into the next session of the campaign. So I felt like, here, I, I'll go into depth about it. Basically, yeah. the party is trying to root the cult out of a certain city. And the players are going about in an okay manner at this point. But... <laughs> This session was the session was only done with one other player because we were off on a trip at this point, but we were jonesing for some D and D, and so I created a quick adventure that was part of that world and part of that story, but it didn't necessarily pertain to that group of characters. It was instead focused on one of the city guard who wasn't corrupted at all, and he was sort of coming upon this conspiracy, and he actually became becomes an NPC and a part of the campaign moving forward. And so it was it was very nice being able to to play that session and then having it flow so well into the next session after that, even though they weren't necessarily part of the same storyline. But it foreshadowed things to come and it was a very good feeling for me and hopefully the players when the that was revealed to the party as well. Setting up things in advance always pays off. Yeah. Even if, even if it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You always get that feeling of euphoria when stuff just flows together so well from one session to the next, where you just, you don't even really need to do a recap. You just say a few sentences, begin the session, and everything just pieces together so perfectly. That's, those are always great moments. Great moments. Uh, if you if you want to share your favorite and least favorite moments as a player, you you may, or we can uh, just keep moving on uh, with the DM questions. Uh, whichever you prefer, Arja. I mean, you're the one conducting this interview. Uh, let's hear. Let's just hear your best 
moment as a player. We don't need to talk about bad things. We we spent quite a few minutes on that beforehand. It's true. It's true. <laughs> my favorite moment that I can remember right off the top of my head as a player, uh, it was a great mixture of all the things that make D&D great. There's the combat, there's the role play, and there's the exploration. Of course, there's a million different things, but I feel like those are the three mains. Yep. Basically, uh, the party, our party, was trying to root out a gang of were-rats that live in the sewers underneath a city. And we've been hunted by this gang ever since we've arrived in the city itself. Me and one of the other player characters had actually disguised ourselves as members of this gang and were moving through and infiltrating the gang when we come upon the main chamber and here we discover that the gang members, not being altogether too bright or not necessarily too devoted to their leaders, they just captured people with our basic description. And I thought that that was hilarious. But I used it to our advantage, role-playing my character as a gang member, berating the other gang members in front of the boss, and then informing the boss that one of the key members of the gang had been killed by the party. Using this, I actually managed to turn the boss against these gang members who had failed him so horribly, and chaos ensued with the gang members trying to flee or fight the, the boss itself. And then, of course, the party sweeps in and takes them all out. I, I just felt like it was such a good combination of everything that makes D&D great, and it's one of my favorite memories as a player. I I remember that session, those two sessions, I believe. That that was fantastic. The intrigue, the deception, the death of a player character too to start off the session. Sure, I don't know if you remember it started with a death, yeah, it was a chase in the streets that ended at a sewer grate and there was a long way to the bottom into the sewer and one of the characters committed character one of the players committed character suicide because he wanted a new a new character. It was fantastic. It's fantastic. He went out the way that he lived. Yes. Jumping down a straight hole. Yes, that's exactly. That was basically his life. He started at the top and then just dove down and did not stop. Oh, no. Bruno, uh, Bruno, the half-orc love hammer, will be missed forever. Indeed. Forever and ever and In ever. In fact, part of the role play was actually us as characters bringing his body to, to the leader in order to prove our... Our loyalty. It's yeah, like we've captured him, and it's like, yep. but we've already captured him. <laughs> yep, it was so good. That that was. I love that moment. I I remember that. That that's probably in the top three sessions from that campaign for me. So that uh, uh, I loved it. That and the Cormacus fight atop the airship in the storm that ended in the airship crashing into the jungle. But that's for another day. We don't have to discuss that now. <laughs> um, of course. All right. So. Uh, back to the DMing questions. As a dungeon master, what do you think the hardest thing to prepare for is? Is it portraying a character? Is it the the maps you use or preparing? What do you think the characters will do in, in a moment? What, what do you think the hardest thing is? I would say that it definitely has to do with what the characters will do in the session. And the reason that I find this so hard to prep for is because you never really know what a 
player's mood is going to be coming into the session. Sometimes they may have had a bad day or a good day, and even though you're never supposed to portray a character like based on your emotions, it always happens. And so you never know when all of a sudden a character might turn dark because the player is having <laughs> a bad time. Or perhaps even a dark character might be full of full of life when normally they wouldn't be. And it can be hard to predict those factors coming in. And if you don't roll with them correctly, you can end up causing a lot of arguments or harm to the story as a, yeah. As a whole. Yeah, definitely. Everyone's had those sessions where you try, you think you know exactly what the party is going to do. Like, they're going to descend the dungeon. They're, they're going to go through the rooms of the dungeon. What else, what else can they do? They're 500 feet up. They're in a tower surrounded by necrotic fog. They're, they're going to go through each room of the dungeon, meet all these characters, go through these battles. And then the cleric in the party just creates a 500 foot ladder using his channel divinity spell. That happens. You have to adapt. You have to adapt. You have to just throw away your notes and say, this is why I love D&D. Because anything can happen. Anything can work. <sighs> and you always want to give your players the room to be imaginative. Yep. If they can come up with a solution that you haven't necessarily thought of, Ever. you shouldn't just shut it down right away. <laughs> no. You should always allow them to roll with it. Because if you're... If you shut down all of their ideas just to have the, them do what you want them to do, then it sort of takes away an element of choice. And they will feel that moving forward. Yeah. And of course, we all know the term railroading. Of course. And we're all guilty of it at some points. Yeah. You always want to leave room for extravagance, for imagination, mm -hmm. for something that you don't think of. Mm hmm. Even though you are God. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> just using that example, I i mean, I could have just had monsters instantly attack. Channel Divinity, uh, it takes an hour to cast. But instead, I, I thought that was such a great idea. We just filled the time with role-playing. And then at the end of the Channel Divinity, that's when the monsters finally struck. You know, I, I wanted to reward the imaginative gameplay and story that you guys came up with. I didn't want to just instantly say, okay, no, I don't want this to happen. I'm going to interrupt his channel divinity. Screw that. I thought in my mind, that's so cool. I would have never thought of this. Nobody would have ever thought of this. All of you were in awe of this idea. So why would I ruin it? It's, I, I know that there's some DMs out there that I know who would just say, no, I'm going to have monsters attack. Random encounters. No, not me. And I don't think you do. You, I don't think you do that either. I think we both know that when a, a player is using their character in an intuitive and an imaginative way, you you let it happen. I actually have an example as well. Bring, uh, oh, go ahead. Basically, in the current situation in one of my campaigns the party is sort of holed up with a group of refugees in a long abandoned citadel. Yeah. And they're all being hunted down by multiple Nolish war bands. So I had sort of come up with many ideas that the characters could utilize to like, to build up defenses, to raise morale of the refugees. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I would 
have all of the ideas covered, but of course, one of the characters came up with an idea that I absolutely loved that I didn't even think about. Being a rogue, he was very stealthy and infiltrated one of the warbands, attempting to get the warbands to fight each other, which is perfect it's when it comes idea. to like the the gnolls in my world and how I portrayed them to the characters. And I so wanted him to succeed, but unfortunately the roles were not with him that day, but I was perfectly, perfectly okay with him moving outward away, creating his own path because it was a brilliant idea. So who am I to stifle a brilliant idea? Yep. That was, that was a great moment. That's uh that's a great example of that. Yeah, I uh, I hadn't thought of that either, honestly. When he thought of it in the moment, I I think I just looked at you and thought, "Of course, why wouldn't we do this? What is this? We're play them against each other. We're two little kobolds. Let's infiltrate the camps and turn these ravenous gnolls against each other." Yeah, it didn't work out sadly, but still, imaginative idea, and you did give us a chance. It may work out yet. Yeah. It, it may work out. Yeah, it's still an unfolding story. Yeah. All right. Well, good answer. Yeah, I agree. Preparing for what the players are going to do, I think that's probably the hardest part. Yeah, that's that's almost the entirety of the prep. You can just say that. Like, how is the player going to react to this NPC? What are they going to do in this battle? Are they going to actually search for the secret door, or are they just going to go past it? Um, <laughs> all right, so... Moving on from that, um, I would like you to imagine that you're on a stage. Close your eyes. You're on a stage. Out in front of you are thousands, tens of thousands, of new dungeon masters. You have the floor. They are all patiently waiting for what you're going to say to them. They, they've come here because you are one of the most respected voices in the D&D community. What is one tip you would give to these new dungeon masters? If you could give them any piece of advice that would help them in their upcoming journey in D&D, what would you tell them? You have the floor. They're waiting. Oh man, the pressure is on. Big pressure. But I, I believe that one of the things that we've sort of touched on, it's definitely the piece of advice that I would give them. You have to be prepared to improvise because no matter how much prep work you put into a session, there will always be elements of it that will escape your prep work. Things that you'll have to create on the spot, things that you'll have to do on the spot, and you have to be ready to adapt. You have to be ready to go where the player wants to go. Because you can set the story and you can set you can set the guidelines, but yeah. you should never set solid rules of where they have to go, what they have to do. You always have to improvise when they do something crazy. Maybe you'll have to do something crazy too. If they want to explore a story path that maybe you had only hinted at and don't have prepared yet, you better be ready to flush that path out because that's where they want to go. So that's what you should let them do. But don't let them know that you're improvising. Don't let them. Don't let them know. 
intelligent players. Yep, intelligent players who have been dungeon masters will know you're improvising, but they won't care. They'll just be impressed. But I have to say, Ian, you just rolled a natural 20 on your performance check. All of the novice dungeon masters in the room drop their pencils and start clapping their hands together. Just Thank you. in awe of, of your piece of advice. But they're quickly ushered out. And after they leave this stadium that you have somehow rented out for this Dungeons & Dragons conference that we're in right now, as they leave, in come a whole bunch of grumbling, angry, veteran dungeon masters. Now, they've been DMing for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, maybe even 30 years. And you've only been DMing, well, let's just say you've been DMing for less than them. And even if, even if you've been DMing for more, well, they're, they're more experienced you know, because they've ran more sessions or had bigger groups or have ran games at conferences. So they walk into the room, they place their butts on the chairs, and they look up to you, still grumbling. And you're expected to tell them one thing that they're doing wrong in D&D and that they can improve on. What's the one thing that you think that this mass of people could improve on? What's, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give to veteran dungeon masters as opposed to novice ones? Because these grumblers, they know that you have to prepare to improvise. What's something new and exciting that will stop the grumbling and turn it into cheers for Ian Klink, the speaker at this esteemed D&D conference? Mm, the grumblers. There's always a grumbler, isn't there? Yes. When it comes to, to veteran dungeon masters, I feel like a lesson that I'm still learning and that a lot of people have to learn is that every encounter has to have a purpose. Whether it be building the, the character's backstory, whether it be progressing the campaign as a whole, if it's introducing lore, if it's giving players a, a, a punching bag in order to take out some of their aggression, every encounter has to have a purpose. There should never be an encounter that doesn't accomplish something. There should never be an encounter that's just thrown in to waste time. Every second that you play D&D, want to be experiencing something. It's a, it's a way to escape, and it's meant to be fun. So everything should matter while you're playing D&D. There shouldn't be an encounter thrown in that's just there to, to waste the time of the players or to, to fill air, as I like to put it. All of the grumblers cease their grumbling, and they begin clapping. All besides one of them. One of them stands up above the rest, raises his hand straight into the air. Everybody stops clapping, and they all look to him. As they all look to him, he lowers his hand and says, actually, random encounters serve a purpose. Sometimes you just need to fill air in the dead spots. What do you say about random encounters, Ian? 
There are no random encounters. There are prepared encounters. I always have prepared encounters whenever I am in a campaign because if you're just throwing random like bandits at them in order to, to fill some time, they're not going to enjoy dispatching them as much as they'd enjoy like perhaps a little side story that could even progress into a side quest given time. And there should always be opportunities for them to explore and grow as characters. And that that's not always done through the campaign's primary plot. Sometimes they can gather allies from an area that may not have been involved if they didn't go down this particular encounter. So if they turn left instead of right, there should be an encounter there. But it's not a random encounter. It's It can be set up in advance, whether you've prepped for them to do this or whether or not you've just had this encounter waiting in your sleeve wanting to pull it out if they were to to go over a different hill or follow a different path. I always like to have these encounters prepared just in case, like, perhaps you're having a little bit of trouble, like, guiding them along the main story. You can you can give them something else that they'll enjoy, something else that they, they'll find enjoyment out of, something that'll grow their character, something that'll give them a little bit more backstory into your world that's not necessarily part of this plot line, but it would be interesting. Again, not only the characters to know this, but your players to be more involved in your world as well. But you should never throw in just a random encounter. It has its purpose, but it's not just a couple of bandits looking to mug this character, even though they're clearly wielding magic weapons and capable of great feats. Perhaps it would be more interesting if this group of bandits were to meet up with the players, realize that they're overmatched, and then having the characters figure out what they should do from there. Do they yeah. do they kill the bandits? Because clearly the, they would waylay any weaker travelers. Do they try to convince them to turn to the path of good? This this could all be thought of like either through improvisation or yep. it could be prepared ahead of time, but it shouldn't just be Throw, throw bandits at characters, characters kill bandits, have good time, fill air. And with that, and with that, the grumbler sits down. He looks satisfied, but he refuses to clap for you. Oh, no. I know, unfortunate. Some people are just stubborn like that, though. <laughs> yeah, some people are like that. Well, that, that, was, that was an excellent answer i uh i completely agree that there's really no there shouldn't be a random encounter there, sh there shouldn't just be an encounter for the sake of an encounter you're 100 percent right on that you shouldn't just have a griffin attack the party and then fly away just because you wanted a combat encounter um it has it should have a place in your world like maybe now if if you hint toward it maybe the griffin was injured or starving or something uh, and maybe that hints toward there being a lack of food in the area or something. You always want to have more going on if you have a random encounter. It doesn't just need to be a battle for the sake of a battle, which is how many random encounters when I first played D&D &D were played. 
and I'm not a fan of that. And I think over time, the hobby has shifted from, yeah, random encounters, uh, roll every hour of travel. If it's a six, random encounter for, for really no reason, just so you can get more loot and power to what you just said, Ian. Every encounter should have a purpose and drive the story forward, even if it's not the main plot. Yes. All right. Um, before we close it out here, I'd like to do a, a quick exercise, just, just for the fun of it, since we're both Dungeon Masters. Let's make an adventure together. All right? We're going to have... Uh, Six elements to this adventure, and we're going to go back and forth a total of three times. Uh, you're going to start, and I'm going to ask the questions, all right? Oh boy, here we go. All right. So the first question, where does our adventure take place, Ian? Setting is always important. Yep. My mind is immediately, for some reason, going to a marsh. Now, this marsh has seen many... Many uh, good years and many a bad. More bad than good nowadays, seeing that this, this marsh is now being used to front a smuggling operation on the Stilted City. And the Stilted City is named thus because all of the houses are built upon a boardwalk of planks that have been dug into the marsh itself, trying to stay above the rotting ground. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so now the second question. We're going to go back to me, or we're going to go to, to me for the first time. Who's the adventure's villain? And I'm going to say, in the stilted city, which is now experiencing a smuggling problem, there is this intrepid criminal mastermind behind this smuggling operation that has been planning something this grand for centuries. It's not your typical humanoid smuggler. It's an Aboleth that lives in the depths of the marsh, that has ascended from the depths of an ocean or the subterranean and can't, uh, come here. Here, it's at the top of the food chain and it's easily able to manipulate all these creatures who live in the stilted city because no one's ever heard of an Aboleth here before. What's an Aboleth? What? What is this? Influencing dreams, thoughts, minds, and it's slowly... Well, we'll leave, we'll leave that for later. So, an Aboleth is running a smuggling operation in the stilted city. What, we're going back to you now, Ian, what is the goal of this adventure? Hmm, the goal of the adventure... I'm going to throw a twist into the, All right. the the adventure and say that, in fact, the players aren't actually working towards defeating the Aboleth right away. Instead, they are the ones that are being manipulated. Currently, the adventurer's goal is to go into the Stilted City. as They're probably members of it somehow and undo the rackets that have already been set their lesser lesser smugglers get these smuggler lords out of the way in order for the Aboleth to take complete control of the smuggling operation and in the future the city. I feel like it could it gives characters an interesting way that they could react. Maybe they're knowingly being manipulated or maybe they've been turned against it 
under false pretenses. I love it. And it leads into the next question. I just had a great idea. The next question is, how does the adventure start? Now, you said that they are basically the servants of this Ableth right now. They're they're husks of their former selves. Now, it would be a great way, I think, to start the adventure where they almost have no memories. They've just been sent to the stilted city to root out smugglers. They don't have any past. If anybody asks them, they, they sincerely don't remember, and they really have to make stuff up on the spot, and the players themselves may have made stuff up, but you communicate to them that you remember nothing besides getting in a boat, moving through this marshland, and coming to the stilted city. That's, that's your last memory. You don't remember who your parents are. You don't remember who taught you how to use your magical abilities. You, you just got in a boat, and you're in the stilted city. And that, that allows the characters to have kind of a, a different kind of story development, where maybe as the adventure progresses, they begin getting flashes of their past, and maybe these fragments of memory are also showing them that, oh my goodness, there's a darker power at work here and manipulating us. I think that would be a pretty cool way, working in your twist. Yeah. All right. They, they create their backstories as they're going through instead of knowing it all. That would be, yeah, that would be, that'd be super cool. I, I dig that. That'd be a really cool, sh like maybe even a shorter campaign too, like 10 sessions or something. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. Back to you, Ian. And I know you've already done this once. But you're going to do it again. What is one twist during the adventure? I know you already made a twist. I kind of made a twist. We want another twist. Triple twist. Triple twist. Triple the twist. Boy, this is just a, a spring going down and up. Okay. Ooh, what's another twist that could occur? Ooh, I've got it. So as they're going through with little memory of who they are and why they're here, why they're what they're doing even they just they're always drawn by the surge to remove these certain people from power and going through one of these smugglers hideouts like clearing away his goons figuring out like what he's into why he's doing it they come upon him and just as they're about to to lock in battle he tilts his head suddenly looking at one of the characters and he knows something about her past in fact he is maybe even a family member or a close friend of who that character was before this. And he's a little bit surprised at the moment. Now, do the characters use this as a chance to just simply surprise him and take him easily? Or do they finally gain a little bit of their own free will back and question him about this character's backstory? And maybe that would help uncover the darker secret that's been like forcing them forward so far. It might turn it back towards them fighting off this Apoleth. That's awesome. That's extremely creative. I love it. That's perfect. Yeah, during like a fight's about to break out, and then all of a sudden someone calls out, Wait! Daughter? I know her. Yeah, like, I know her. Oh, that'd be great. That, that would be awesome. I love that. Awesome, Ian. All right. And for the final part, how can the adventure end? Now, there's the obvious ending of killing the Aboleth, but I, I don't know. That's that's kind of boring. Maybe 
Maybe the Aboleth, or hmm, maybe you there you the characters prop. I think their final goal would be trying to get their complete memories back, and killing the Aboleth won't do that. Maybe there's a another twist where if they kill the Aboleth, their memories go with the Aboleth. So perhaps like the Aboleth manipulates them into saying, "Hey." As they're about to kill the Aboleth, it basically communicates to them, if you kill me, all of your memories die with me. You will forget everything you've ever known. So you better do what I want, or you're going to forget what your life was for the past few decades, or if you're an elf, hundreds of years, something like that. I think that would be a super cool twist. And then... I don't know, it would be interesting to see what the characters would do. Quadruple twist, Ian. Quadruple twist. <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of twists. That's a lot of twists. <laughs> I like it. I like the idea of holding the memories hostage. Holding yeah. the backstory hostage. I know. It would be interesting to see. Abolith, you forget who you are. But if you join the Abolith, are you little more than just a pawn? Exactly. I alternatively <sighs> One of the things that I would do in that situation, kill the Aboleth. Who knows if you were even like a paladin beforehand of righteousness. <laughs> and you take, now that all the power, power makers of the stilted city are gone, you take up the reins of the city smuggling. There you now, go. Are you going to use it as a hub for good or evil? It's always the question. And then... Eventually, somewhere down the line, another campaign crosses the stilted city, and these characters are either overthrown or <laughs> encrusted as one of the greatest crime lords of all time. There's so many directions that it could go. I love it. That's a neat little idea right there. I'm loving that. I, I love our adventure. The, the hmm, I don't know, the, the lost memories of the stilted city or something. I don't know. It sounds great. I love it. That was awesome. That only took 10 minutes. That was fun. <laughs> and that's that's how easy world building can be. Just like that. Great ideas. Just like just that. Flow. Flow like water. Yeah. Perfect. Great, great creation, Ian. Before we close out here on the first interview with the Dungeon Master, I want to ask you, in the past year of playing D&D, what do you think the best thing to happen to you has been? What has just been your your favorite moment or your favorite memory just in this in this time period? The last year has been so far has been pretty tricky given what's going on right now. But I would say definitely the best thing that's happened D and D wise to me has been starting the new campaign. It's been just a, a real fresh breath of air during a time that you really need it. And getting to know some new players, getting to reconnect with some old players that you haven't really seen for a little while. It's just such a good feeling to, to start up a new character with a fresh set of backstory. It's, it's just a really good feeling to put on. It's almost like shedding, shedding skin, getting a new set of skin. And it's, and it's just fantastic. And hopefully, my hopes are that I'll be starting up doing some of my sessions again pretty soon here, because my campaign has been on hiatus for a little while. 
and it's going to be that a has. time soon. It has. It's true. Miko Basura needs to, to learn what is happening in the Savage Lands. It needs to be done. The gnolls need to be dealt with, and the citizens need to be saved. It, it's true. a necessary task. He might have to do it alone. Maybe there will be other adventurers that will rally to his aid at some point. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. But in the meantime, Cotton Galen, yeah, is going quite strong. And it's, I have to say, probably the best group of players that I've ever played with uh, thus far. So I, I'm having a great, great time. It's fantastic. As am I. Well, that is all I have for you, Ian. Thank you so much for, for coming on this inaugural episode of Interview with a Dungeon Master. I, I hope, yeah, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed it, and I hope anybody listening enjoys this. Going for more of a casual conversation vibe, just with D&D &D Dungeon Masters far and wide, I'm going to be starting with my close circle, and as I, as I start to spread my wings and fly across the wide world, hopefully we'll get some differing voices on, but I wanted to start with this, uh, this series with someone I knew who would be a great first person to talk to that I've played D&D &D with for many years. And uh, and I think I was completely right in my speculation. This was a fantastic first episode. Lots of good discussion. Lots of good thoughts, Ian. Thank you so yeah, much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. If uh, you guys are at all interested in this, or maybe you're a dungeon master that wants to come on here and just talk about D and D, or your thoughts on it, your philosophies, your favorite moments, your worst moments, go ahead and reach out to me. Uh, just go to rjd20.com and look at my contact info, and we'll get in touch. I'm willing to talk to just about anyone about D&D. Something I love to do. Again, thank you, Ian. I'm sure maybe in the future we can do some other collaborations, because you've got a great mind, man. Sometimes. At least half the time. <laughs> Perfect ending. Farewell, everybody. Make sure to stay creative out there.